And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 107 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, November 29th, 2015. Well, folks, in the immortal words of Steely Dan, when Black Friday comes, I'll stand by the door and catch the gray men when they dive from the 14th floor. Yep, when Black Friday comes, I'll collect everything I'm owed, and before my friends find out, I'll be on the road. That's right, this week marks the Black Friday and Cyber Monday Hunger Games, the age-old game when people trample, steal, and clobber each other for the deals on products just hours after sitting down with each other and being thankful for the things they already have. Ah, America. May the odds be ever in your favor. Of course, nobody's ever stopped to ask, huh, I wonder why they're overcharging us the other 364 days of the year. But here in PNR, we wanted to celebrate Black Friday and Cyber Monday with you. So we've got crazy PNR's blowout blitz on content marketing and native advertising. We've got content measurement, content marketing, all on sale. Everything's at an insane discount. Everything must go. Remember, PNR will not be undersold. We must get rid of all these rants, these raves, and all of these content marketing examples. We must do it in the next 24 hours. If you buy in the next one hour and give the discount code orange bucks to see we'll give you the two for one 30 days free money back guarantee friends and family freebie cyber weekend black friday deal of the century it's all free so let's get this crazy discounted show on the air and to do that i need to introduce my partner in crime my colleague my friend my co-host and the crazy entity of content marketing mr joe polizzi how are you my friend did you say orange buxity is that bucks to see bucks to see oh my bucks to see good uh, now i get it i'm, uh, I'm a little, <laughs> little did you go out and do some shopping I do not, and you do though, don't? Isn't it like this is like a tradition in your family? It's a tradition, is it not? and you know what? Friday is getting lonely out there. We we got up. Uh, it's up. getting lonely out I'm there. I'm serious. Yeah. Everything you and the other throngs no, of. <laughs> there's no more Black Friday. I mean, literally, we were up. We were up in Adam at uh, at four o'clock in the morning, and right. we were at Coles, and we were literally the only ones in Coles. <laughs> I think I said this last year. The same thing. It was like. It was a oh, deja so vu awesome. of last year. Um, so what was interesting is, and I read the article the day before that says right. Staples Staples wasn't going to get involved in the you know having it on Thanksgiving. So, right. as, as you know, like a lot of companies like REI and other ones, they said we're not going to have anything to do with it, nothing. But Staples said we're going to open at our regular Black Friday time at six o'clock in the morning. So I'm thinking, well, maybe people are lined up to get state because they had some some pretty good deals. So there we are. We were stroll up at ten minutes till six, and there's one other <laughs> car. There. There's no. There's one other car in the parking lot, and so there was. It was the you know my wife and I and two other people there to bust wow. the doors down at Staples at six in the morning. <laughs> you should you should have totally done video of that of you and the one other person <laughs> jostling for the stapler. In the, in the <laughs> it was a ruckus at Staples. It was a ruckus at Staples. <laughs> Me and this other person got into it over the deal of the century. We were, we were having it out over storage space. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was crazy, but uh, it I, you know it's kind of sad. I mean, I enjoyed. I, it is not I, sad. It is not sad. It is the it is the opposite of sad. Well, it must have. It must all go on on Thanksgiving because I'm not. I mean, well, I think that not, I think. I don't know. It, well, there's the Thanksgiving rush for sure, yeah. and then I I think Cyber Monday has really 
put the counterbalance on that thing. I mean, there was there was a great news story on here in Los Angeles where there was a reporter going up and down the aisle, and he was he was had his his phone with him. And he was saying to the person, what are you in line to get? And the person was like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm in line. I need to get that Darth Vader toaster, you know. And, and, and basically he would go online and go, you know, you can get it on Amazon Prime and have it to your house overnight. You don't need to wait here for this special deal. He was basically showing them all the stuff they could get on Amazon delivered to their house instead of having to wait for this, you know, quote unquote deal to, to, to get in on Black Friday. That's so, so true. I mean, the, the, the best, best part about it is a couple of the stores. You walk in and they'll give you a coupon or a, a card, and it'll have money on it. So it'll have five dollars or twenty dollars. So oh, that's we went, interesting. So we went into Michaels, and we, you know the arts and crafts store. Went into Michaels, and they had, right. they had a sale on Star Wars T-shirts. So we picked up a couple of those. We actually left the store with all the stuff we purchased plus nine dollars. And I'm like, that's the way it's supposed to be. Like we we actually got money. We got all this. You stuff. actually made money. You we actually made money. made money. We made money off the deal. And I'm like, all now right. this is what Black Friday should be about. Like you actually get cash plus merchandise. <laughs> I think we've had it all wrong before. I think we actually want to keep our money. And Michael's when whatever Black they're doing. Friday I'm assuming they're going to go out of business. But yeah. <laughs> I loved it. Well, it lasts. I think it's fantastic. So, anyways. All right. Sorry well, about shall your, we to the news? Your, well, I just have to say sorry about your Cowboys. Well, really yeah. Is, thank, thank you for that. Oh my God, it's a disaster. But you know, hey, now, now at least it's for a draft pick, and so you know, it'll be entertaining the rest of the well, year. We'll talking, see what happens. It's the you know the dumpster fire that is the NFC East. Is like you know, what are you going to do? That's true. But I, you know, I was feeling really bad for you, and then I was having Thanksgiving dinner. But then I reminded myself. I said, <laughs> I, said I said Robert's really in a bad spot, but he's in a better spot than this turkey I'm about to eat. So yeah, it's all good. There let's, it is. Let's do this All thing. right. Yes, it was a slow news week, as you might expect, with the holiday week behind us. But we actually did come up with some really interesting stories. And our first one comes to us courtesy of Adweek, actually courtesy of Comedy Central. But by way of Adweek, the article about it, which was uh, an episode of South Park, which hysterically satirized uh, the ad-blocking sponsored content and rise of content as a marketing ploy um, in in sort of culture. And, and as the article opens up, it says South South Park's one, uh, 19th season has been unusually strong, of course, and it's been uh, all these storylines involving topics like political correctness and gentrification. And last night, this was last a uh, couple of weeks ago now, Sponsored Content was the name of the show. And basically in the episode, the school principal um, basically informs the student editor of the newspaper, Jimmy, that he's no longer able to distribute the paper in the school unless the content is pre-approved. Jimmy refuses, of course, and instead delivers it door-to-door to the delighted parents who are finally able to enjoy news that aren't obstructed by ads. But then, dun-dun-dun, it goes on from there. We won't spoil it. But it it was pretty funny. I don't. I, I watched most of it. I know you watched all of it, but it was it was pretty funny. What did you think? It's so it's such a, a perfect take because they're basically saying you know the whole idea is oh the ads are getting smarter they're going to find you yeah and exactly actually, there's a there's the one minute spot that Ad Week focuses on which is cool is about this you know the, this whole guy that really wants to get the news but can't get the news because oh no I got sidetracked is that news is it not news I got the exactly. I hit the button now the advertisement is following me around the web and all this it's really hilarious if you think about it so I I absolutely love the take they're they're spot on with it uh, but the you know the of course not just talking about native advertising and and sponsored content if you will but I'm really looking forward to the the next one because it's a cliffhanger 
because you don't know what happens. Because basically, the, the uh, Jimmy, who's the news editor, he gets si- – I mean, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but he gets taken aside and because they're trying to – they're trying to kill him, apparently, because he's the <laughs> that's, only that's person. Great. They're, they're trying, to trying to kill him. To... People are trying to kill him and hurt him because he is the only person right now that can tell the difference from the real right. news and an the, ad. Uh, and an ad, right, exactly. <laughs> so he gets, yeah, so they're going after him, and the Geico person comes over to his house and basically wants to – his ad-free newspaper wants to sponsor it and gives him $26 million to do that and exactly. says no, and then the Geico guy pulls a gun on him. And then there's a whole a chase scene as it you know, goes from there. It's, it's really it's kind of, so great. Kind of it's crazy. so great that he's the only one who can actually. He's got this superpower now to be able to tell the difference between content and an ad. It's it's really it's really well done. It's really well done. And I guess you know. I guess what you can say. When you've made South Park, you've sort of you've you've made popular culture, right? You know, because we can now, you know, there's two things we can point to. We can say, well, you can go look at the story of content documentary series, or you can go look at this South Park episode and kind of look at it that way. It's just it was chilling to say that there's nothing we can do. We cannot escape the ads because the ads are smarter than human beings and they're going to get us and they have to now disguise themselves as news in order to survive. And they're finding their way. in. it's just it's it's worth the watch. I mean, by the way, it's very, very. Um, for mature audiences only. Oh yeah, or imma- well, that's or immature yeah. audiences. Or immature audiences, right? Yeah, this is this is South Park, folks. This is not this is not something that you're supposed to watch with the youngins. Absolutely. So, but worth, yeah. worth the All watch. Right. Worth the watch. Yeah. We're definitely worth the watch. Okay, so moving on to our next story, which actually is very related to this idea and the reason we sort of put them at the top of the show together is because they are related. Um, in the it's not a bug, it's actually a feature category here. Uh, Yahoo is now restricting software for email users if they've got their ad blocker turned off. The article comes to us courtesy of the New York Times, and it's a bunch of other publications have covered it since the news came out. Um, and it opens up by saying millions of people swear by the ad blocker software that lets you browse free of online advertising. Um, on Friday, and this would be last Friday, pre-Thanksgiving, dozens of people took to web forums and social media to complain that they were being blocked from their Yahoo email accounts unless they switched off their ad blockers. The issue seems to have first appeared uh, early last Thursday um, when somebody actually started to complain about it. And now Yahoo has actually confirmed these reports and said, quote, at Yahoo, we're continually developing and testing new product experiences. This is a test we're running with a small number of Yahoo mail users in the U.S. What say you, Joe Polizzi? Is this the first shot across the bow of using ad blockers? Well, the the when I read this, the first thing that came to my mind was this is really going to end badly. Yes. I think I believe the first thing that, that came to my the first thing that came to my mind is who the hell is still using Yahoo Mail, but uh, but <laughs> beyond that, beyond that. Hey, I use it every I, time I want to give out an email yeah. address that I don't want to give one that I use. I, I see. Have a, I, have I see. Email address. Do you have an that. AOL address too and and, and No, 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 and, no, no, no. I have a pro- okay. prodigy. A Hotmail address. It does yeah, prodigy. Okay. I've got don't, okay. don't, be, don't be messing with my prodigy yeah. address. Um, <laughs> but then I was thinking. So Yes, this can only go wrong because you're not focused on the user experience at all. You're trying to keep a, a business model that's not working uh, working by by going backwards. It seems to me that that's what they're doing. But then I'm thinking, if this was Facebook, 
Not that Facebook has all these problems right now, but if this was Facebook, people would get all up in arms and Facebook would still do it and probably be successful. Are we picking, am I picking on Yahoo because it's Yahoo or is this really an, an inane, insane decision on their part? What do you think? I think it's an insane decision on their part to do this. Um, I think it is a test. I, I, although, you know, I mean, it's got the PR speak written all over it. We're continually developing and testing new product experiences. No, what they're testing is to see how pissed off people will be when they do this. And, and so, and rightly, I think, you know, a very vocal part of that group is pushing back and saying, hey, listen, you know, we want access to our email, you know, and now here's the thing. This is where it really comes down to is, you know, there, there's that classic saying, which is, you know, when you can't figure out what the product is, it's you. And this is the, the you know, this is it, right? You know, you have been enjoying the free bandwidth and the free email client and the free email service storage of, of Yahoo for as many years. And they're sticking ads in your face to monetize that thing. And that's how they're monetizing it. And so what you're saying basically is I still want my service for free, but I don't want to allow you the ability to monetize it. Now, so I think it's in Yahoo's every right to be able to do this. I don't think it's a smart thing to do necessarily, but I do believe that it's that they have every, you know, they have every right to do it and basically go, you know what? test this, see who will pay for it and see who, you know, start to start to figure out how to monetize it in a different way. So in other words, if this is their ham fisted way of sort of figuring out how to make people either pay for their email address or monetize it by not blocking ads, I, 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 I sort of, I, I sort of, I understand their need to sort of figure that out, especially Yahoo that is sort of struggling for a yeah. business model. And but this is not the way to do it. This is a, this is a this this was a ham-fisted way of doing it. We're, we're going to look back on this in ten years and think this whole period of time was just crazy that we were trying to force advertisements in these little uh, display units in front of users instead of doing whatever the new business models are going to be at that point. Exactly. Which, yeah. Which is I mean, just, it's just silly. But that, that's the thing that I still, and I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I do with the fact that through all this time where you had, let's just take a look at Google for comparison. I mean, they have, even though they're still the majority uh, advertising driven, just like Yahoo is, they have, I don't know, a thousand other products in development that they're looking at building and, and monetizing over time. And it doesn't look like Yahoo's done that. And they've just turned into right. a regular old media company. And now they're like, okay, well, this is our business model. We're, we have to use this. So what do we need to do? And so now, and that if you look at it from that perspective, that this is the business model that they are relegated to, this makes sense for them to do that. I still don't understand why, after all these years, why they have, have such a, a huge audience why does it always have to come back to, well, there's really only one way we can make money, advertising. I can't do it anywhere else, any way else. I, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think a lot of that has to do, I mean, there are other articles that are going around that we're not talking about on the show this week that have, that, you know, sort of filled my flipboard and, and, and other newsreader um, systems about the challenges that Yahoo is having in keeping executives. I mean, they've just had yet another senior level executive leave the company. And so, you know, some of the articles were like, is this Marissa Mayer's, you know, sort of, you know, swan song of trying to 
do something with Yahoo. And so I think in many ways, and and and, and there's no secret that Yahoo is extraordinarily siloed, and it's an you know it's an it's an amalgamation of businesses. It's not really one business. And so I could very easily see them being so siloed that you know the mail group is like struggling for their very survival and said we have to start turning money here yeah. or we're going to you know we're going to get kicked out or spun out or something and you've got a general manager of that product trying to figure out how to sort of keep the lights on and this is one way to do that but the problem is is that it brings down the entire brand as they start to do this because you know you get the backlash not only with you know because everybody inevitably asks all right well mail is now 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 first mail then what right when probably the rest of the organization had no idea that this was even going to happen Boy, they haven't improved that email product at all. They really haven't. No, it is. I haven't used it in some time, but uh, but I mean, uh, I, had, yeah, I, had a, I had a Yahoo account for email. What three, four years before Gmail ever came along? Oh, sure, I did too. Yeah, yeah. And, I had. They, it was and, one of my very first email addresses. And outside yeah. of the color, uh, I think it's exactly the same as it was ten years ago. <laughs> I don't think it's <laughs> it changed at all. Is. I think it's exactly yeah. the same. So, yay, innovation. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But you know, there it is. The ads are the ads are you know not smarter than you, and they're and you're blocking them, and they're going, yeah, we need you to we need you to do this and look at this ad, even though yeah. you don't want to look at it, yeah, and you're not going to do anything with it, but we need you to look at it because that's the way we monetize it. Which is, uh, by the way, telling all their advertisers that nobody looks at the ad, right? Yeah. Them. Do, this is why I think it's such a ham-fisted thing, is because. It doesn't matter. The users, you know, no, no, basically the users of the email, a very, you know, we in inside baseball land will care very deeply about this and, and bitch and moan about it and, and all of that, you know, online and whatnot. But the general user of a Yahoo email account doesn't read this article, doesn't listen to this podcast, and doesn't actually care about it. Probably this doesn't stuff. have ad blockers. Exactly. And so what the, the the challenge that I see is is that what they're telling the advertising industry is they're advertising the fact that nobody looks at the ads and so they need people to look at the ads in order to monetize the thing and blah 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 blah. And so you know they're force feeding asparagus down the kid's throat and you know and the kid doesn't want it and now they're telling their advertisers, "Yeah, we they don't want your ads." And so now if I'm an advertiser, I'm like, "No, I'm not going to advertise on your platform. Why would I? You just told me that nobody wants it." Yeah, they're going to have to work on those TPS reports. Even more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's all I thought of when you kept saying, yeah, you're going to need to look at this ad. You're going to need to look at this ad. All right, let's look at our next story here. Well, if we weren't thinking content marketing was in trouble before, Joe, it may still be really in trouble. This oh. comes to us courtesy of JeffLivingston.com, whom we both know. Um, and the headline of his blog post is Watching the Content Marketing Trend Fade to Black. As he opens up his blog post, he says, Content isn't going anywhere, but the content marketing trend may be disappearing much quicker than we think. This trend movement, more to do with marketers failing to deliver results with general content than the role branded content has on the internet. The B2B marketing crowd, he says, is moving beyond the content marketing trend and adapting to account-based marketing. Advertising crowds are adapting real-time and programmatic marketing. Both the account-based and programmatic trends use content, but with much more precise data-oriented methods. What say you, Joe Polizzi, about uh, Mr. Livingston's blog post here? Well, 
<laughs> I like I and I, I like Jeff. I've got no issues with Jeff. Uh, and by by the way, Jeff's a, a fantastic uh, photographer. Um, the, but the one thing that I would say is is that I did this presentation at Content Marketing World that I says I said basically get ready for the content marketing is dead posts. Here we go. Right. It's more of them, and you're, we should just prepare ourselves. And this is the, you know, this isn't the start. I mean, we've seen a couple months of these kinds of posts, and we're going to continue to see it, based on the fact that. And we talked about the Jerry McGovern post last week. You and I were just talking right. about this, where yeah, exactly it's just like, right. oh well, the fact is, is that brands are really not good at doing this content marketing thing. So we're just going to have to move on and do something else. So we're going to go into programmatic and into, by the way, you know, if you look at account-based marketing, that's heavy usage of, of content marketing in, uh, in content-based marketing, at least in account-based marketing, but I'll leave that to the side. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that we should just prepare the way for more of this happening. Uh, you know, the article talks about the fact that there's this glut of content. We've heard it before, and it's hard to cut through the clutter, which, by the way, has been that way since the dawn of the printing press. We've talked about it at length on this show. And um, and if you if you have a strategy and you commit to that strategy and you consistently target a specific audience over time uh, with amazingly helpful content, and you have a goal behind that strategy, um, you're probably going to be successful. The problem is most people aren't. Now, just because most people aren't, you can't just say that content marketing, and, and, and to be fair, Jeff says that he doesn't blame the, you know, doesn't blame content marketing, but I just, I don't see it. I think you're going to have some people that are, that fail, and you're going to have some people that are amazingly successful at the same time. So, right. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. I well, I mean, say. so here's well, here's here's here. I'll I'll tag it with this, which is which is you know the the, and in, in an effort not to sort of, here, I disagree with the with the the premise. I guess is the only thing that I'll that I'll say here, which is that the the content being used for programmatic and for account based marketing is the new trend. Um, to me, programmatic is flattening out much quicker than the content shock sort of effectiveness you know programmatic is already starting to flatten out in terms of efficiencies and it's a different type of content programmatic is almost exclusively being used to deliver advertising based content yep. pure advertising based content account based marketing is different in that it is a different methodology of sales and marketing actually more than anything else any b2b organization and it as you're as you point out, it is using content at its heart, right? Value, thought leadership, influencer driven content, whether you employ a challenger sales model or you employ, you know, you employ a consultative based sales model, whatever it is, it is looking at the account as a holistic account rather than sort of and triangulating and all the stuff that account based marketing does really well. And, and agree, we talked about this on the show last week, which is account based marketing is kind of the new black right now in, in terms of B2B. Having said all of that, my my only take here is is that the 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 idea that content is going away, it, it, you know, 
if this show, the name of this show is indicative of anything, it's that it's been around, you know, because I was reading some of the com- comments and it's like, well, this, you know, this fad, this trend, this content yeah, marketing fad, trend, buzz thing. It's like, sure, I, I call it whatever you want and the term whatever you want. I, I don't deny that it's a buzzword right now. But the practice, the methodology, the approach of this has been around for a hundred years and has proven itself to be valuable. If you can't do it well, that's one thing, but it exists and it is existing and it exists as a core piece these days. That's the evolution we're talking about. It's a core piece, not a replacement. We've never said it's a replacement. It is a core piece of a broader, integrated marketing, advertising, and communication strategy that can add value to the entire business. That's all it is. And it is it has been that way for a hundred years. We would argue that it's a little more important these days than it were was in the past. We would argue that the opportunity is bigger these days than it has been in the past. Therefore, the opportunity and the risk of not doing it well is bigger than it has been in the past. So there's a reason we want to prioritize it. But other than that, it's not supposed to be this magic bullet. It is supposed to be one methodology and approach in a broader strategy that you bring value to your business with. And the the, the idea that it's gonna that this fad is gonna die is just is is just wrong, in, in my opinion. Well, so, you know, you bring you up go. a really good point. If there's a difference between the term and the approach, the approach has been around for hundreds of years. The term, right. the term is, yeah, you could say that the term is a, a faddish term, if you will, but it really doesn't matter. You can call it whatever you want. Um, you know, it's just, I didn't, which was really actually cool. I didn't tell you about this, but my son, my youngest, uh, is doing a presentation on content marketing for his class. Oh, that's and cool. It's really cool. So we, we put together 10 or 12 slides and I was, it, and I basically said, he says, can you help? I said, I said, I have a thousand presentations on content marketing. I said, what <laughs> right. do you Can need? You help? Can I, you help? I, exactly. I said, <laughs> <laughs> and I sat down with him. It's and probably I, the only time with his homework that you can actually help. I know, exactly. There's a first. I said, I'm happy to help you. And I'm so excited yeah. to help him, of course. And and I said, I just want you to understand it. I said, I don't want to like give you slides and then have you turn it in. I just want you to understand it. And we were going through, and I just very simply, because he's like, I'm explaining this to students that have no idea. And I said, okay, first of all, we have to define marketing. I said, you know, how should we define marketing for your class? And I said, what is marketing to you? And he says, well, I'm trying to acquire a customer. I said, good. I said, so let's talk about how we how we get and keep. Did a he customer. actually say? Did he actually? Did he actually say? I'm he trying to acquire a customer. Yeah, exactly. He did. Oh my god, that's. Well, I mean, well, we talk about it all the I time. I mean, that kid is so. I mean, that kid is so smart. But but yes, I mean, I mean that's just awesome so for his said, age. That's well, just, we yeah. we said it was fun. It was super. I'm fun. impressed. Thank you. It was super fun. So we went through. So, so the so first of all, we defined marketing. The idea of marketing is to get or keep a customer. Okay, we got that. Then we go through and say, well. What's been different about marketing lately? And we said, well, let's go back and let's really look at the last 50, 60 years. I said, it's been predominantly advertising or paid media. And he got that, right? I said, no, you know, like commercials and, and advertisements and magazines and newspapers and on your on websites you go to. He says, yeah, I totally get that. I said, well, what's, he said, well, what's changed? I said, well, what's changed is the fact that consumers have access to not just 
eight or less channels like they did before 1990. They have access to hundreds of channels and they have they have a 24/7 device with them at all times that they can to- they totally have uh, control to get whatever information they want to help them with their lives. That means that advertising, although it still works, is much more inefficient than it used to be because it's hard to target somebody that's going to 100, 200, 300 channels. And it's hard because the consumer can can basically flip through that advertisement, DVR it, doesn't have to pay attention, can ignore it at will. He totally got that, right? So we're bringing right. that together. And then basically we got into why content marketing? And he totally got it. I, I said, basically, instead of distracting somebody in somebody else's channel, you try to create, what do you try to do? And he says, well, you try to create really interesting information that keeps their attention. I said, right. And then what's what's the big deal behind that? What do we think might happen? Well, he said, well, if you, if you do that, maybe they would, you know, you'd like that brand more and you're more, more likely to buy their stuff. And I said, that's it. That's it. That's it. It's like it's so funny, right? Right. right. <laughs> Going right. through this, but that that idea has that. You know, back to our point here. That idea has been around for hundreds of years. The difference is because there's no barrier to entry, and because consumers exactly. are completely in control, we have a better opportunity to do this, and we should look at this as a different kind of approach with more intensity than we have in the past. Because what we've been doing is not as efficient as it is today. So. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's not going to change in five years. No, that's not of course. Change. Well, in 10 it, yeah, years, it's not, not going to change. change, and it's only going to become more and you know m- more easy to 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 do that. So, content does become more democratized. Publishing becomes more democratized, more consumerized. You know, I'm actually working on a piece now um, that I'm I'm actually working with conjunction with Michelle, who's our editor, and Marsha, who. Um, helps us edit the uh, the intelligent content stuff, and I'm writing a post around this idea of how content used to be more strategic in most businesses, and the reason that it used to be more strategic in most businesses was because it was a considered effort to be able to do it. You know, it used to take weeks and months to yep. shoot a piece of video and cut it. It used to take weeks and months to actually get a print campaign together. It used to take weeks and months to actually you used to even if something as 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 commoditized as a memo. You had to actually put it into your typewriter, type it out, put it in, you know, photocopy it 50 times, put it into the, you know, the, the inter-office envelope, wrap it with that little string, and stick it into a, in somebody's cubby box. And that was the way you send email. And, and, you know, and so even that, when you typed up a memo, it was a considered effort. So everything was much more considered and deliberate when you were actually creating content in the business. And by thus... Everything that we do today where you can whip off a video in your iPhone in 35 seconds and you can whip off an ad in Photoshop and jam together something. And Joe Kalinowski wrote a post about this you know, on, on CMI not too long ago about how easy it is now to create graphics. What it has done is that it has both provided the opportunity for getting really good at it, but it's also consumerized it to such a point where anybody can create any kind of thing, and they do. Yep. And so content is just thrown out there. So the, the 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 challenge is getting good at it and getting good at it in a way that differentiates you from all that noise that's out there. Yeah. So anyway, that's so anyway we can move on from that. But but you know yeah, that's we, the, that's that's really it. We could just keep we could just, or we just keep talking about this and forget the whole news <laughs> thing. We just keep yeah, exactly. We got all kinds of rants. I got I got a rants backing up my rants here on this article. Anyways. Oh well, that's so funny because my rave is exactly on this later in the oh, show. Good, the, good, the, good. Yeah, we'll this later in that. the show. Okay. Exactly. 
All right. Well, our last story. Well, no, we have two more stories. So our, our second to last story here, and we can cover this quickly, is that is comes to us uh, courtesy of Inside Search, um, which is a, a good blog, actually, I, I, I find. And um, this was a Google announcement that came out, and it's really, I think, and I, I you know, I actually think this is a much more important post than uh, than a lot of uh, of the coverage was because I, I put a little research into this of, of a couple of years ago. Um, the, the article opens up by saying, when Google got started, search was meant to sit at your desktop, find the best information on websites. And today, as it says, you're more likely to be searching on your mobile device. And the best answers may be buried in an app. And this has been a big issue, right? Getting Google, I know, has been very concerned about the number of apps that have been developed for mobile platforms and the information in contained within those apps was actually inaccessible. And this has uh, this has also really put a sort of a the brakes on many marketing organizations developing cool content things within the confines of an app because quite frankly there wouldn't be any SEO benefit to it because Google can't find it. Well, Google now has been uh, really working on this because up until now it's really only been able to show you information from apps that have matching web content to do it but now they've done what they've announced is you're going to start to be able to see content pulled out of properly formatted apps in Google search results which would lead you to the content itself and they've announced that there's also going to be the option to stream some of the apps actually that you may not even have installed right from Google search and I think this is a really cool idea. So basically they're saying if you've got an app that uh, allows you to do stuff, you can actually stream that right from from the actual app. Okay, I I think I get it, but if you if you don't mind, just explain it to me like I'm a 6-year-old and and how this is going to work and what impact it, it's going to make on on me personally or on on brands in general. <clears throat> Sure. So here's the here's the way I think it's going to work because I haven't actually seen this in the wild yet. But here's how I think it's going to actually play out. What the article seems to be saying is, is that you're going to be able to search on Google for a particular app, let's or a particular thing. Like let's say it's a restaurant, or um, let's say it's a book or a product of some kind that would normally the information would be contained within an app. And so what you'll see there is in the search results, you'd see, hey, here's the result for your book or your restaurant or your product, and it's in this app. Would you like to have the experience? You click into it, and instead of installing that app on your phone, you would actually get the app's quote-unquote experience through a streaming sort of idea, and you'd be able to see it in context. You know, you'd see the restaurant, you'd see the menu, you'd see the everything you want to see about that within the context of what looks like an app, but it's going to feel like a mobile website. But it's actually an app that you could install if you wanted to. So instead of going to those annoying things that say, hey, you can't get to this information unless you install this app. And you're like, damn it, I don't want, you know, and you will be able to actually stream the app through Google um, and be able to see it that way, which is really cool if you're a marketing person and want to not have to deliver both an app and a mobile web experience and a regular website experience. You can just start delivering an app that actually is optimized in this way to be able to stream this content so does that mean let's take an app like yelp and let's say there's a restaurant that i really and, and i see the information google shows me that the information is on yelp and they start pulling that in is this really bad for yelp then 
No, I think it's really good for Yelp, but it's even better. I mean, Yelp already sort of optimizes in this way where you can actually see it through a web interface or through a mobile interface. But if you're a smaller company and you want to develop an app and you haven't done so because putting all that information into an app would actually ostensibly hide it from Google, well, now you don't have to worry about that. You just need to worry about developing the app in a way that Google will actually be able to see the content and deliver it to the people who are searching for your stuff. Um, So for people that are in really niche industries that are that have you know fewer searches but those that are coming in are really you know important and i can deliver value through some sort of interesting um uh, experiential way well this is a really in, you know a, a really cool thing to be able to deliver well i could see this really i mean there are what millions of apps out there so basically it sounds like google's been indexing these apps for a long time and now they're in beta they're going to make this available let's see how it that's goes. right yeah, that's right. That's right. Which is, I know, been a big concern of theirs because they've really not wanted to sort of lose all this information that they that they would have previously had access to because it's all appearing in these apps, which are, of course, you know, all, um, you know, they're all compiled and, and, you know, you can't get into them like you can a website. So this is I think this is a bigger news than than even, you know, this. So from a search perspective, which is, of course, why this is appearing on a search oriented blog, it's a it's a big deal. Well, thank goodness for Google. I don't know what we do without them. <laughs> well, speaking of thank goodness, <laughs> speaking of thank goodness for Google, our last uh, article uh, that an, an item that we want to cover for the show is hello, meet the new Google Plus. Um, this comes to us courtesy of TechCrunch, and I know you have a take on this, Joe. Um, that says Google Plus has always been a project for Google. Well. I think that may be a stretch. <laughs> Tell me something we don't right. know. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Regardless of what you've read in the media, uh, with projects come changes, and there have been quite a few for Google this year. The Photos product that got pulled out of Google Plus is doing really well, and YouTubers were happy when the service was unbundled from the video sharing site. The shift continues today with a complete redesign focusing on the parts of the service that are working well. It is now basically a community i guess of sharing across well, i mean you you spent a little more time in this what did you come away with well i like so i have a couple takes on it first of all i've i've always put down google plus because even though they never said that they were trying to be a social network i think they actually were at least that's what i yeah. thought so as we were as brands were going out and they were building their follower bases on google plus we were saying you know don't build your content house on rented land just like we do with all the other ones and lo and behold google plus is shut down uh you know two reorganizations in in a nine month 12 month period who knows what's going to happen and all that work you did could be for not but then right so they come out with this i gotta say that the user interface is a lot better uh it seems to me and i told you this before it seems to me like there's more activity on Google Plus. But okay. I think that the bigger issue is I think that I just never realized what they were trying to do with Google Plus. It was like a it was like a petri dish for them, I think. Where they were just trying stuff out and they said, Oh, hey, photos really worked well. So great. Now they've got something in photos. That works really well. Communities has worked really well for them, which I think that there's a big opportunity. Uh even on the business even most of the communities that are really, really growing fast. Like, you know, let's say photography has always been a great community. A bunch of communities on Google+, Plus. they've done a really good job. Well, now, since LinkedIn is having some user experience issues over there with their communities, I could see Google+, Plus picking up some of that. So you might say, you know, where do I want to 
put my where do I want to be part of a certain community? I think Google Plus might be uh, the place to look for that. So it's just interesting where this has sort of changed maybe from a place where we would think of it like a social network to just a place where we're going to find like-minded people around a certain t- topic. And this is where in Google Plus is where we go. Could be. But Google Plus honestly doesn't – Google doesn't care, right? They're just trying <laughs> – they think this could be a project. This is such a small deal for them, right? If they, exactly. They're looking. They're looking to try out things on a on a beta user group, which is everybody that belongs to Google Plus, and they're going to throw stuff at us. And the things that work, they're going to take and productize and move outside of Google Plus. This is what they did with Photos, and they're going to continue to do that. So, I think it's fine for uh, for like for for a marketer. I would say that it could be a really good place to get involved in the community from an, a social influencer standpoint and maybe even share your content out with that community once you build a relationship with that. So from that standpoint, that could be the, that could be the thing. That could be a very simple thing that we could go and look for if, if there's a, a community goal or you need to get certain materials in front of a, a certain group of people. So I hear you. I hear you. I, I you know, I'm a little once bitten, twice shy on this thing. Um, you know, I, I because okay, great. It's you know, photos and and some of the other communities that are sort of taken off there are great. And um, you know, I think one of the reasons that photos is taken off is because I guess the way that they do collections of photos is so much better than you know, speaking of Yahoo, better than Flickr, um, and better some of the other you know photo services that are out there. And so I think you've seen a lot of the photography enthusiasts really get involved at Google Plus, and, and it's just a better product. I, but you know what? I, I'm, I'm like, I, you know, what if that doesn't, you know, what if they decide that tomorrow it's not the right thing, right? You know, I, once again, it's this idea that how much of my resources am I going to put into this thing? And how much am I going to build on this thing with the unknown quantity that is Google? Because it's they didn't. It's not like they upgraded and went. Okay, now it's no longer a project. It's actually an official thing. (laughs) It's just a. It's still a project. It's it's just a project, right? It's still going to be a project, and I think that's the thing. I mean, I think it's still the mentality of if you get up in the morning, you should anticipate that any of these social networks—Google Plus, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, Facebook, Instagram could change the rules at any minute and all the work you've done would be for nothing. And if you keep yeah. that attitude, you use it for how you need to use it today, but don't, I, I don't know if I would take any long-term investments with any of them at this point. That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, speaking of long-term investments, we have a long-term investment that we need to talk about, which is our wonderful sponsor. That's exactly right. This old marketing has a wonderful sponsor, a returning sponsor as well. Exactly. Long-time support, Wyden, yeah. long-time supporter of, of PNR's This Old Marketing as well as Content Marketing Institute. And we have a really interesting asset to talk about, and this is the DAM, the DAM Decision Guide. And basically, here's the idea. You can't have effective content marketing without efficient content management, especially when it comes to the rich media assets that require another layer of planning and investment. And you and I have seen this at will. Oh, we have yeah. people that just simply can't even find the assets that they're looking for in some of these. Even small companies have this problem. So, so basically, end 2015 with a bang or get 2016 started out right and get a handle on your marketing assets. So Wyden has created and made available a one-page DAM decision guide, D-A-M decision guide, to help you put in place the right fit digital asset management system for your business. 
This piece is straight up utility, offering a proven. <laughs> I like that. Straight, straight up. up utility. Straight out of straight up utility. Straight right out there. of DAM, right? Straight <laughs> straight up utility, offering a proven, repeatable process for making some good. <laughs> this is funny. For making some good damn or damn good decisions. There we go. Uh, you gotta love copywriting. That's the widen folks for you, right you, there. Yeah. There. <laughs> you can get this one-page guide, and you need to get this one-page guide at bit.ly slash widen w-i-d-e-n dash d-a-m dash guide that's b-i-t dot l-y slash w-i-d-e-n widen dash dam d-a-m dash guide and uh, make sure you pick it up it's a great piece and thank you for widen for uh, continuing to sponsor the show and they've been a wonderful partner and we certainly appreciate it Thank you to the Wyden folks. It's a good piece. And uh, digital asset management, I know, is interestingly having, you know, because I come out of web content management as sort of my background, and it's interesting to me how much more digital asset management was almost an afterthought in marketing when, you know, in the early 2000s and when I was coming up through WCM. And I can tell you now, boy, it is top of mind yep. for marketers. It is it is something that multi-layered marketing organizations that are trying to get their hands around this idea of of content marketing, digital asset management is front and center. So, well, the, uh, the yeah, I, we you and I thought it was so important that we've added. Um, a session specifically on yeah, digital exactly. asset management and intelligent content. Intelligent content, content yeah. By the way, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, March March seventh through 9th in Las Vegas. Be there, be square. But anyways, <laughs> that's, cra- it was- <laughs> that's crazy Eddie for you coming back with you. <laughs> Discounts. <laughs> just like the opening of the show. It's you Black can't Friday. Miss this, sale. Yeah. <laughs> this is uh, this is Joey Scott on the spot reporting live with a digital asset go. management collection you will never believe. <laughs> And speaking of which, it is time for your favorite part of the show, which is our rants and rave section when Joe and I go off a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like, oh, you know, Black Monday or Cyber Friday or one of the two in between and makes us or makes us feel really good and loving like we just got a great deal on something. So uh, let's see. You are going first because you have this old marketing. I do. Absolutely. I have I have this old marketing. So I'm going to go first. And I have a very brief uh, rave. If I can get the the here we go. Get my the site to come up here as we're working on it. So uh, the I have to tell you a quick story here because and I think it's relevant. But basically, if I if I take it back to 2003, I was working at uh, at Penton Media, and I had this really weird idea that. And by the way, Penton Media, largest independent business to business company. We had lots of different brands, and we were you know matching up buyers and sellers in all these different markets. And I thought there was a huge opportunity for somebody like an eBay business who wanted to basically sell products and services to these sides to you know maybe take a look at Penton and, and buy them. And uh, we were struggling at the time, Pent Media was, and I said, well, wouldn't it be great if we put a package together and actually packaged up Pent and Media and all its assets and, and presented it to eBay Business? Maybe there would be something there. And I actually put this together and everybody thought I was crazy. I'm surprised I, I, they didn't fire me. They thought it was such a horrible idea. <laughs> I thought it was a great idea, but they didn't think so. Now, on to this. I was reading in the Wall Street Journal a couple days ago this. Alibaba Group, is Jack Ma interested in print media now? And basically, there's strong rumors here that the latest merger and acquisition coming from Alibaba, uh, you know, the huge Chinese holding company that has, you know, 
one of the largest companies in the world right now, is look, right. Jack Ma, the founder, is looking to buy a stake in the publisher of Hong Kong's South China Morning Post newspaper, and Bloomberg's reporting this. Uh, and uh, I, I think that this, that I, from what it sounds like, what the Wall Street Journal is saying and Bloomberg is saying, that this is actually going to happen. Uh, and I think that, again, it's the same old thing where you have Alibaba, their sole job is to bring buyers and sellers together. They sell lots of products and services. In some of these markets, they don't have the audiences built. Doesn't it make sense for them to go out and actually buy a media company? And here's what they are. And it's a very traditional print media company in China, very large, but very traditional print media company that is good at real, at one thing. You know what that is? Audience development and audience building. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I just think it's perfect. And of course, we've talked about this before, but it's, it's interesting to see now. And maybe this is, you know, kind of what our buddy Jay Kunzo was talking about, where we needed some first movers coming into this area. And here's one of them again, where you have a big company like Alibaba that's going after media. And it's so interesting to read the articles though, Robert, where they, they don't have any clue for why would somebody like Alibaba or Jack Ma want to invest in a company like this, even though Jeff Bezos did it with, uh, with, uh, Washington, Washington Post. Washington Post, yeah. They like don't get it. They like literally don't get it. Where I'm like, why? Why do you not get it? Here's a here's a here's a here's a company, and their sole reason for for living is to build an audience. That's all they're supposed to do. They build an audience and they monetize that audience. That it's a perfect fit for any large company that's trying to sell a product or service to that audience. So, anyways, I wanted to share that news because I was excited about it. I saw it right away, and I'm like, ah, that would be a great rave for the soul it's it's cool and it's you know what i love so much about that is is that it's you know introducing you know to to whatever extent i can you know you know this not much of the audience knows this obviously but you know i spend uh, a good part of i spend a week in the spring and then usually i spend a week in the winter time um with this group that i've done business with forever that are in that world, um, and you know, global economic stuff. So I spend a week in Sundance every every year, and then I spend a week in New York every year, sort of meeting these people and hearing what's on their mind and hearing what's going on in sort of world economies and stuff like that. And the amount that these people are focused on companies like Tencent and Alibaba and companies that are coming out of China that dwarf the companies that we have here is just amazing. And so anything that sort of helps us get educated as to what's going on in the world, you know, especially in South America and China and India, where these companies, you know, there's a there's a duplicate. If you can name any company out there that you're you think is hot right now, whether it's Airbnb or Uber or Yahoo or Amazon or Google. There is a Chinese equivalent that's not that, right? And there is a Brazilian and or a South American and an Indian. And there are all these companies out there. There's a whole ecosystem of companies that are disrupting the spaces that are, that are coming online. It's just a, it's an incredibly, it's an incredibly interesting time, I think, to be, to be in, to be in business. It's, it's, it's fascinating to uh, me. And anyway, by the way, anybody listening to this that doesn't know of companies like an Alibaba or a Tencent, Tencent, I mean, that, that's just an amazing business model oh god uh, yeah it's just and baidu and 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 uh it's just yeah really interesting it's it's something get ready yeah get yeah get ready is right all right well my my i have a rave i have a short rave and this is the sort of inspiration of this comes from you know as it does frequently it seems um come from seth godin 
And he wrote a blog post uh, this about a, a week ago, and the title of the blog post. And again, like everything that Seth does, he writes in you know three hundred words what it would take me like a million to say. I mean, it's just kind of annoying how good a writer he is when he says this. But the title of the post is "A Reason Persuasion Is Surprisingly Difficult." <clears throat> And he goes on to talk about how each of us understands that people are swayed by different kinds of things, right? So when we think of persuasive statements in advertising and marketing, if we're marketing orange juice, he, for example, uses, he says, look, the girl that wants the glass of orange juice is, you know, wants it because it's a sweet drink, not because it's, you know, going to save her from scurvy, you know, and the same is true for a business to business, you know, transaction. And for everything we buy, we have a reason that we want to buy that particular thing. And it may be vastly different from why somebody else wants to buy it. And so the difficult part of this, as he says, is, and this is a quote now from him, he says, even when people make an argument, know this, they don't like making an argument that appeals to the other person's alternative worldview. In other words, what he's saying basically is, we want to say what we want to say and convince the listener that that's important rather than understanding what the listener thinks is important and offering up something that would match that importance. And there's such a beautiful and important lesson here for us as content marketers too because what of course Seth is talking about is regular marketing and this is something we see in master classes and it's a core piece that we now teach as part of that master class we even now open we open you know this because you've been in the master classes we open with this video of Steve Jobs talking about in 1997 the importance of the customer experience and starting with that not starting with the product and figuring out how we sell that product to an unsuspecting crowd, but rather what powerful experience could we deliver to the customer and then figuring out how to make that. And we're talking, and he's talking about product development, of course, and marketing and advertising and all that kind of stuff. And as Seth says at the end of his post, he says, marketing is actually the empathetic act of telling a story that works. And that's what I love so much about what he's saying here because it actually pays so many dividends if we think about it that way in our content marketing. Because when we think of content marketing, and I've just seen this so many times, and this is the reason that Jeff Livingston thinks it's fading to black, and the reason that this, you know we have so much content crap and content shock and content that doesn't do anything, it doesn't have anything to do with the glut or the shock or the overload or any of that attention span or any of that kind of stuff. It's basically we create content in business based on what we want to say instead of what does the customer want to hear. You know, so we start, you know, every time I'll ask, you know, not every time, but but uh, many times when I ask, well, what should we be doing in content marketing for your business? The answer that'll come back is, well, we need customers to understand that we're a thought leader in this space. No, customers don't need to hear that. Or they'll say, well, we want to position ourselves as the trusted brand that speaks to human needs. No, customers don't want to hear that. Or they'll say, we need to create awareness through education of our expertise in this particular market. No, customers, that's you, you, and you, and you. When we start with content marketing, we have to start with what does the customer need first. The true test of that, to me, is does the customer want or need this content? If they don't, let's not create it. Let's just full stop, not create the content to begin with. And when we start looking at these new capabilities to scale content marketing programs or create customer experiences with digital content and to look and behave like a media company, the real key is actually looking and behaving like a media company and creating valuable customer experiences with the content. In both of those cases, it's not how we can persuade, but as Seth says in the very end of his post, and I love this line, 
He said, it's not about merely sharing what you, the marketer, believes. It's about what we, the listener, believe. And if we can figure that out, we can deliver value and we can rise above the noise. And that I just love the post and I think it's just a great lesson. No, you're right. You talk about that in every masterclass and it's the same thing that I, that I talk about in, <laughs> in uh, Content Inc., the book, where I said, yeah, basically my, my belief is... Yeah. Well, my no, the whole idea is is not only with the content, which is what you're talking about, but also with the product. Well, my right. belief, if you're a startup today or an entrepreneur, create a product based on what your audience's needs are. Don't go out there with a product that you think is a winning product. It's a it's right. a much exactly. harder scenario to go out there. Large companies can do that, and they can try to force that product in there with a lot of advertising, a lot of marketing. If you don't have a lot of money, you're better off just listening to what's going on and understanding that audience better than anyone else and then serving them with a product or service that makes sense exactly. based on that feedback. Exactly right. Exactly so, right. Anyways, I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. All right, this old marketing. Something there you go. that uh, yeah, let's let's uh, what do we got? Well, what's interesting is is that you know I cover this case study in every presentation I do on on the Content Inc. model, and we just realized I've never talked about it on this show. Yeah, so we're like, exactly. you got to do right. this. So this is all about Andy Schneider. And for those of you that don't know about Andy Schneider, Andy Schneider is known as the Chicken Whisperer, um, which is one of my favorite case studies of all time. So just the short story behind Andy Schneider is he basically, there was a point in his life, he went to a flea market and saw some chickens and said, I wanted to raise some chickens in my backyard. And so, of course, took the idea home to his wife and said, hey, do you want to do this? She was she was down with it. She's like, okay, let's let's raise some chickens in, in our backyard. Realize he starts searching for information. This is five, six, seven years ago. Not a lot of information on backyard poultry. Just couldn't find the information. So started to actually collect all the information himself. He became an expert in raising chickens in your backyard. And he had some neighbors that you know, started to raise chickens in his backyard. They were healthy. It was a fun thing. Neighbors started to see what he was doing and said, hey, Andy, I, you know, neighbor said, I'd like to raise chickens in my backyard too. And actually, before long, started to get a little meetup group together in his neighborhood. All his neighbors wanted to find out how to raise chickens in their backyard. Uh, he had other communities start to contact him. And, and after a little bit of time, went on to meetup.org and started to set up meetings all throughout the United States about him going and talking to, you know, different groups about raising chickens in your backyard. From that moment on, you know, became the de facto leader uh, in, in the movement around backyard poultry. <laughs> is it a movement? It's is a it, movement. It, okay. It's all right. It's a movement. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> and, uh, and that basically started a podcast uh, called the chi- of course the chicken whisper so started this podcast as he went and now has on the podcast 30,000 uh weekly downloads for the podcast people listening to backyard poultry he's taken that and he's moved that into the number one book on backyard poultry on Amazon there's only two books in the category robert but it, the number <laughs> one yeah. the number one book and uh, and then also has the Chicken Whisper magazine, of course, and has built this multimedia, multi-million dollar platform opportunity uh, for himself around this idea of raising chickens in your backyard. And I absolutely love it. And this was courtesy of uh, Andrew Davis that came to us first with it. And then, of course, when Andrew let us know, uh, we did it. Claire McDermott, the, the editor of uh, Chief Content Officer magazine, and she was doing all the interviews for the Content Inc. book. We got a hold of Andy. We did a great interview with him. He basically laid out the whole history of how he did this thing. And I just love the case study. One reason, because he followed his passion uh, and be, and became an expert, wasn't an expert. So a lot of people that get in, a lot of businesses get into this, say, oh, no, we, we, we're not an expert in that. But 
you can actually become an expert, uh, especially if you do a lot of research and you start, you know, do your 10,000 hours in, into that as uh, Malcolm Gladwell uh, talks about in his books. Uh, and I just love the case study. And, and Andy is a, is a colorful character, super successful guy, and really focused on covering a niche better than anyone else. And if you ever look at anything regarding backyard poultry, it's uh, Andy Schneider and the chicken whisperer that comes up. So I absolutely love that case study. That's fantastic. It's fan. I, sus- I, I suspect there's no foul play there at all. But, uh, <laughs> no, nice. oh, no, we've gotten to that, right? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's all downhill from folks. Did he, plane, so. did he cross the road? Anyway, anyway so <laughs> that's a. I love that story. I absolutely adore that story because I mean, well, just to the earlier my rave and what you were commenting on is basically he found a passion and then basically built himself a content platform and an audience and then figured out how to how to how to monetize that and what products to sell it's just a it's a it's a it's a great it's a great story well and then back on the point where he focused on the pot but really built the podcast as his core channel and focused on that and then diversified later what a lot of companies do is they basically say oh okay here's the content that we want to talk about and then they throw it up all over every channel uh, but Andy didn't do that. He really focused on building an audience through that one channel, which works really, really well. And then once he built his minimum viable audience, then he diversified into other platforms. So. That's right. That's right. All right. So what do you got? What do you? Would you? I mean, I'm going to see you tomorrow. I guess, aren't That's I? That's right. Uh, yeah, we'll, we're uh, in Austin tomorrow we'll doing our in... uh, final final push of our master class in Austin and Washington D.C. this right. week. To this Tuesday, uh, we have what is that? The first. What day is that's that? That's the first. That's yeah, the that's first. the December so 1st. December 1st, yeah. we'll be uh, doing the uh, Content Marketing Masterclass in Austin. And then the third, we'll be in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, uh, doing our final uh, masterclass. And it's been interesting. You know, six six cities, a little bit more than last year's four. Yeah. So it seems like they, they keep uh, – they work you, man. I mean, like you are – I'm sure that if, if uh, we had our choice, you'd be doing like 20 cities next year. But I just don't – there's only one Robert Rose, and I just don't think you could do 20. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Well, let's all be thankful that there's only one of me, right, because that would just be bad for the world otherwise. Exactly. But, yes, no, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I'm having the time of my life with these things. I love going to the different cities, hearing the different people's you know challenges and what's going on in the business, and also, of course, doing the master classes with you, my friend, is is nothing short of a joy. So, oh, it's super um, fun. Yeah, it's been, it's been really, really fun. And I, it's going to be cool. Going back to Austin, of course, great barbecue. I'm looking forward to that. And then finishing up in the nation's capital is just tons of fun because um you know we'll get to make lots of trump jokes i'm sure (laughs) (laughs) well then i will see you tomorrow my friend i will so that is it folks for joe polizzi this is robert rose signing off and you know do tweet us up tweet us up on the hashtag this old marketing and let us know about all these great wonderful stories we love 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 getting them it was a little slow this week because of the holiday and all of that but we uh, would love for that to kick back up again and you know if you've got a question or if you want to just send us an email of course you can email us at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 107, folks, we hope you'll consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. All those links that you see and you've heard about today will be in the show notes available in the show, of course, as of tonight. And then, of course, on the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturday. All right, folks, remember, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.